Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you guys listened to the podcast yesterday, I had a little bit of a special episode as we head into the end of year. I interviewed my brother, Ethan, uh, who runs a great baseball-focused nonprofit called Keep Playing Baseball. Um, Hope that folks listened to that and enjoyed that interview. Um, If you do uh, give to uh, nonprofit charitable organizations at the end of year, I do hope you consider uh, donating uh, to them. Uh, He does great work. They're, doing, they're meeting a need that's out there in the baseball community. Uh, so listen to that uh, podcast uh, and check out the website and Twitter and, and hope you enjoy that. Excited to get back into fantasy baseball. Uh, today's podcast is going to cover Jesus Aguilar, Jose Abreu, and Gary Sanchez. Uh, these were suggestions by uh, at the Money Pitch, uh, who left a very nice five-star rating and review. Uh, on um, on iTunes, so thank you very much for that. Uh, has been a, a strong supporter on Twitter uh, of the of the Twitter feed, and so just really appreciate the engagement um, there. Uh, it's a really interesting uh, trio of bats going kind of mid to late, uh, or 50, 50 to fifty to eighty five or so, um, and so uh, just a really interesting group of guys. I'm also do, did a. Um, piece at the end of the podcast on some late ADP starting pitchers uh, I like for drafts and in that I talked a little bit about what what some of the tools and resources I use are um, for analyzing some of those late uh, pitchers and identifying them really kind of what are some of the filters that I use to identify folks to take a little bit deeper dives on and so I shared a little bit about that and then I went into each one and why I like them what jumped out about them and why I think they're worth Taking a flyer on later on in drafts, I really think that um, you know this, the drafts, drafting pitching this year is going to be really interesting because I think there's a lot of guys um, with just really uh, wide uh, ranges in terms of the possible outcomes, and there's some re- some guys I really like going late in drafts. I like the guys going early on a lot, and I think there's a lot of question marks in the middle. So that is certainly going to be interesting to see how folks uh, tackle that. Uh, Coming up on future podcasts, we have a lot of interesting players as well. Matt Chapman, Michael Conforto, uh, Trevor Bauer were requested. We did cover Trevor Bauer on episode 35 of the podcast, so um, definitely check that out if you're interested in learning uh, my thoughts on Trevor Bauer. I will just add uh, that segment on to the next podcast just so folks um, can listen to that. Jose Martinez, Hunter Renfro, he's a guy that I highlighted towards the end of uh, towards the middle slash end of last year as a guy whose skills were definitely improving, so I'm excited to jump in on him. Mike Miner is actually a guy who I'll cover more in depth formally, but I cover him uh, at the end of this podcast as well, um, so definitely tune in there. And then I also want to cover some non-trade league strategy, uh, so NFBC and other leagues where you might not be able to trade. Uh, the league rules may forbid trades. How do you approach those leagues? What are some of the considerations that you need to take that might be different from you know, your traditional home leagues um, where you are able to trade? Um, so that should be uh, a lot of fun. Thanks to folks who have left ratings and reviews, still getting through those, and you guys are help dictating uh, what we cover in the podcast. Um, as always, you can find the podcast on iTunes and other podcast platforms. If you leave a five-star rating, let me know. You can choose one player 
coming up on a podcast. If you leave a five-star rating and a review, you can choose three players um, and or a topic that you'd like to me to discuss. So late round, uh, late ADP starting pitchers would be one example, for instance, or late ADP uh, batters would be another example of a topic that we could cover. Whatever it is that you want, leave a five-star rating and write a review and you can uh, you can decide what we cover on one of the upcoming podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, Instagram at BatFlipCrazy, Facebook at BatFlipCrazyFantasy, YouTube, just search for BatFlipCrazy. Uh, the blog is BatFlipCrazy.com. I actually made some uh, some adjustments to it. It had been sitting there stagnant for a while, so mostly cosmetic, but I moved around what some of the... Um, uh, what some of the tabs are on the website uh, that you can go to, including having more on the podcast that's available there. Uh, some links to social media. Um, been starting to post uh, the uh, show notes um, and some of the visuals from the podcast as blog um, articles. And so you can definitely check those out uh, as well. Uh, all right. Jesus Aguilar, Jose Abreu, Gary Sanchez and late ADP starting pitchers. Let's get this party started. First up on today's podcast, we are going to cover Jesus Aguilar, first baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. In the 10 to early mock drafts, Aguilar went at an average draft position of 91.9 in so far, 34 NFBC drafts. He is going on an average draft position of 80.7 with a minimum pick of 62 and a maximum pick of 114. Uh, Aguilar last year played 149 games, 566 plate appearances by far. Um, his most in any one season before that in 2017, he had 311 plate appearances. And that was really uh, the only meaningful experience he had had previously. Uh, 274 batting average this year on a 276 uh, expected average. The major thing that stands out uh, in Aguilar's uh, plate discipline and contact skills is the drop this year in his strikeout rate down to 25.3% from 30.2% uh, last year. Uh, that comes that came um, and was supported by a 4% increase in his overall contact rate and a 3% increase uh, in his in-zone contact up to 83.6% uh, for the season in-zone and 72.7% uh, overall. I think um, one thing that we'll get to with the rolling average graphs when we cover those is that his contact uh, did decline as the season progressed. So that is something of note. His OBP was at 352 with an expected OBP of 353. So again, you'll find that a lot of the expected metrics support what he produced last year. Uh, he's about league average overall in terms of plate discipline. 45.5% uh, swing percentage, 46.6% is league average. And then his O swing uh, was at 33.4% last year. So about 25 uh percent worse than league average, uh, but his walk rate was at 10.2%. You might see that go down a little bit, although I think pitchers um, may have been avoiding him, uh, not throwing the ball in the zone a lot. So that might help explain that higher walk rate than you might anticipate with league average uh, plate discipline metrics. 8.5% is league average for that walk rate. He produced 80 runs uh, or scored 80 runs last year, 14.1% uh, runs per plate appearances. Uh, that seems a little 
I mean, he was better than league average um, in terms of OBP at 13.1%, but batting kind of further down in the Brewers lineup, that seems a little um, high in terms of runs per plate appearance. Not too out of whack, though, so seems seems relatively reasonable. I might expect a little bit of regression there. As we'll cover in the stolen base section, he is not fleet of foot, as you would uh, expect uh, from a big guy like Aguilar. Uh, for power metrics, 35 home runs. Those did come on 31.6 expected home runs, so outperformed uh, his expected home runs by 3.4. This is the second consecutive year he's done that. Last year he had 16 home runs on 13 expected home runs, so it may be that X-Stats isn't catching something or it just could be uh, that he was lucky for two seasons. 6.2% home runs per plate appearance, 5.6% um, expected uh, home runs per plate appearance. His home run per fly ball rate was uh, very high, uh, 23.8%, 22.5% last year. But the home run metrics are really, really strong. So, um, you know, he obviously uh, can produce uh, low to mid 30 home runs. And if he's able to get more than 600 plate appearances uh, in the upcoming year, then, you know, I think he's a pretty safe bet uh, to hit at least. Uh, 30 home runs. His hard hit rate was at 44%, so really strong there. Second consecutive year with a strong hard hit rate. His ground ball rate was at 35.4%, uh, which is a really nice number uh, for a power hitter. Again, we'll see in the rolling average graphs that towards the end of the season in his rolling averages, um, that trend line was headed up pretty quickly in terms of his ground ball rate, so just something to keep in mind. I mentioned the home run metrics were really strong. 51.7% hard hit uh, fly ball rate, which is great. 37.5% is league average. He also had a really high hard hit fly ball rate last year. And then one really encouraging sign, a 41.2% hard hit pulled fly ball rate, which is well above league average of 32.6%, and by far the best of his career. Now, there's not a very strong year-to-year -year correlation um, for hard hit pulled fly ball. So I guess take it with a grain of salt, but it is a really good... Um, sign that he was able to get that to a very high level. Um, it means that potentially uh, his you know, mean for hard hit pulled fly balls is more towards league average than it is the 19.5% um, that he had uh, last year. Barrels, 7.2%, uh, very strong there. So, you know, he hits a lot of home runs. He has a, hard, uh, a high home run per fly ball rate, but uh, there is a good reason for that uh, with very, very strong uh, power metrics overall for Aguilar. RBI per plate appearance, he had 108 RBI last year, a 19.1% RBI uh, per plate appearance. Um, this is a bit high. This is close to, um, I believe, J.D. Martinez had the highest uh, RBI per plate appearance, which isn't necessarily surprising. Aguilar has some some decent OBP studs in front of him, uh, guys like... Uh, at least according to roster resource, Travis Shaw uh, batting cleanup. Ryan Braun does not have the OBP that he once had, um, but he's, he's definitely capable of it. And then Christian Yelich um, uh, batting number two. So obviously uh, RBI per plate appearance well above league average is not surprising, but this is uh, way up there as one of the highest rates that you'll see. So wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of regression there, but I think with a full season of plate appearances, uh, triple digits is definitely uh, a strong possibility for Aguilar. Overall, 374 WOBA, 375 expected WOBA. So again, everything supports that. The dude is slow as molasses. 
uh, zero stolen bases um, so far in the last three years. Uh, not surprisingly, a zero percent stolen base opportunity percentage. So he hasn't even attempted uh, a single stolen base, and his sprint speed, not surprisingly, is twenty four point six and twenty four point seven the last two years, which puts him uh, almost three feet per second below league average. I guess like two 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 point three. Uh, feet per second below league average do not anticipate getting any stolen bases for him even getting zero stolen bases for three consecutive uh, years is difficult to achieve so keep that in mind uh, when you are projecting him just put a big fat uh, zero there let's take a look at his detailed batted ball profile now this is really encouraging for Aguilar he's got a very solid uh, detailed batted ball profile at xstats.org his pop-up percentage is 17%, so below league average, which is nice for a guy who has a high fly ball rate. His hard drive rate is at 16.4%, the second consecutive year above uh, 16%. 10.8% uh, is league average, and those hard drives are the high line drives, low fly balls that go for extra base hits and home runs. So that is very encouraging. And he also has fewer dribblers um, than league average, 18.4%, so 6% below league average. Just mash that all together, and you have a value hit uh, percentage of 11.8%, so 2.8% above league average, which is really nice. And then a poor hit percentage uh, via X stats of 22.4%, 3% below league average. So he hits balls um, uh, really well, more than league average, and he hits them poorly, more than league average, which is really good. And not surprisingly, he has a 321 uh, expected BABIP. Um, as a result of that. Now, the one thing to note about that, his expected average was 276 as well because uh, Xstats had him at fewer expected home runs, so he made up for that with the um, expected BABIP. So uh, not with the batted ball quality that Aguilar um, is producing, uh, it is not a surprise to have an above-league average batted, uh, above-league average BABIP. Now, the rolling averages is... Um, uh, there's some uh, kind of signs of concern uh, for me and maybe one of the reasons why I probably won't take Aguilar where he's going, and not because I don't think he's a solid player, but because I do have some concerns about regression. Uh, and I also think that, um, you know, his profile and where he's going, there's just guys that I like, like better. Uh, but his rolling 40 game average, uh, essentially, you know, he started out really, really well, um, you know, with really steady improvement in his in-zone contact rate up to like 87, 88%, so well above league average for the first half of the season. Now that started to go down and kept going down and down and down until uh, his low point was the last 40 games of the season where it was 79.7%. And so this could be problematic as this is, this is kind of um, you know where he may end up settling, and this is pretty close to his three-year average, right around 80%. That's 5.5%, 6% below uh, league average. And so that is going to impact uh, the batting average because he's not going to be making as much contact. Um, and so that is a little bit of a concern. Another trend is an increase in his ground ball rate. Um, he finished the season with a high of 43.5% over his 40-game rolling average. So um, you know he kind of finished on a low note there. The good news is, is that does intersect with his very high hard hit rate. Um, right around 44%. So 43.5% is right around league average for, for ground ball, so not terrible news. He has really high 
hard hit uh, fly ball rate, uh, hard hit pulled fly ball rate, barrel percentage. So you're going to expect a higher than average home run per fly ball rate. But, you know, it's not the low uh, ground ball rate in the in the 20s um, and low 30s that we saw in the first half of the season. The one encouraging sign is that we do see some improvement in his um, O swing uh, into the lower 30s over the second half of the season. So mostly just, you know, my major concern is that we saw kind of peak Aguilar in the first half. The numbers bear that out. And now he's kind of regressing back to um, his true talent level, which is uh, more a kind of a, a swing and miss not miss guy, not, not a Joey Gallo, um, but a more traditional power hitter. And so that may impact uh, the batting average a little bit. Um, and, and so that's just something to consider. Uh, with him and then in OBP leagues with the average potentially going down a little bit that's also going to drag his OBP down but I like the power metrics a lot. Uh, Roster Resource has him batting fifth as I mentioned earlier um, with Travis Shaw, Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich, and Lorenzo Cain ahead of him. Uh, The only other area of concern you have Orlando Arcia, Manny Pena, and Corey Spangenberg uh, right now as the bottom three in that lineup. That is definitely going to impact his runs per plate appearance if he does bat five instead of four. Um, And so that's just one thing to note in terms of opportunity as the season uh, approaches and we get a chance to look at that. Uh, Folks that he's going around, so the um, guys going ahead of him, the five hitters in front of him, Joey Votto, Gene Segura, Matt Carpenter, uh, David Dahl, Marcelo Zuna, uh, behind him, Mitch Haniger, Jose Abreu, Eddie Rosario, uh, Corey Seager, Nick Castellanos, Justin Upton. So for Aguilar, like I mentioned, I probably won't be taking him right now at his average draft position of 80.7. Uh, I just think that there's guys I like uh, more. In terms of the guys that are going ahead of him, I think you have um, some pretty similar Guys like Marcel Ozuna, maybe with a better batting average, a little bit less power, um, potentially a better situation with the Cardinals. It's it's um, you know it's pretty it's pretty close there. Uh, David Dahl, I've obviously expressed my uh, lack of interest at David Dahl at his ADP, so he's probably not a good comp. Uh, Matt Carpenter, um, you know, I think uh, Matt Carpenter and, and Aguilar, I think being close to each other are is a pretty good. Um, comp with Carpenter kind of having the high run total and Aguilar having the lo- the high RBI uh, I total. So just kind of swapping those counting stats. But a guy like Gene Segura or even Joey Votto, those are guys that I would, would definitely take ahead of Aguilar. I take Haniger above him, Eddie Rosario, more of your four and five category contributors. I see Aguilar much more as a you know home run contributor, RBI contributor, definitely no stolen bases. About league average, maybe slightly better in terms of his batting average. And then I think his runs per plate appearance are going to hurt you. And I just think you can get that profile later on in the draft. So I'm definitely not going to be getting him. I think a guy like Abreu, who I'll be covering next, is a good guy to highlight because with Abreu, he got unlucky last year. And I think you can expect that his batting average is going to be much higher than Aguilar's uh, with similar, maybe slightly lower power. Uh, but, uh, you know, RBI totals, uh, run totals, fairly similar, and then a lack of stolen bases. So those guys are pretty good comps for one another, um, giving a little bit, uh, you know, in terms of average for the power 
with with Aguilar versus Abreu, but I'll cover Abreu in more detail. But I'm much more inclined to go after guys like an Eddie Rosario, uh, even a Castellanos, like a Justin Upton, who's going to give you stolen bases along with the home runs. And he may be slightly worse in terms of batting average, but I'll take the extra stolen bases. And he's definitely got the 30 home run power. So as you can see, not necessarily a... um, you know, a profile that I'm looking to get at this point in the draft. I think there are first basemen that can provide you with similar value way later in the draft, even a guy like CJ Crone, similar batting average, potentially similar home run totals, RBIs, depending on where he bats with the twins could be similar as well. That's just one example. I think there's a lot more there. So, um, all in all, though, I mean, I think Jesus Aguilar, I don't think there was anything necessarily fluky about what we saw. I think we saw kind of his peak in the first half, and then he kind of regressed towards his mean and his true talent for the rest of the year. I think you're looking at a guy who's going to provide you with a really solid home run total, a decent batting average, a decent runs, really nice RBI total, and no speed. So that is Jesus Aguilar, uh, first baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers. Next up, we have a Jose Obreu, uh, first baseman for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, two uh, early, dra- uh, early mock draft, average draft position of 70.1. He has fallen back in the 34 NFBC drafts to 85.8 with a minimum pick of 61 and a max pick of 119. Uh, last year was a disappointing year for Abreu, and uh, he definitely played through some injuries. Uh, 553 plate appearances after close to 700 uh, the two previous years. So definitely something to consider when we think about his counting stats. He had a 265 average last year, uh, but a lot of that was um, was a lack of luck uh, on balls in play. 293 expected average, and you see that the BABIP uh, this year was 294 after 330 and 327 uh, two years ago. Uh, without a really drastic change in any of the underlying metrics. So uh, I would put it to a combination of injury uh, and bad luck last year. We did see his strikeout rate creep up about 2%. Um, His contact rate fell by 2%, as did his in-zone contact, but it's still really solid in-zone contact at 88.1%, contact rate overall at 77.7%. So both numbers uh, better than league average. OBP, he's not a great OBP asset. Uh, 325 last year, but again, when you factor in the bad luck, a 351 expected OBP. The batting average really uh, really lifts him up a lot. 362 and 356 expected OBPs the two previous years. Uh, only walked 6.7% of the time. Uh, well worse than league average O swing and uh, much more aggressive than average swing percentage. 49% versus... league average and 35.9% versus 30.9% overall. So he's not very patient uh, at the plate. His walk rate is going to be low. And so he relies on that average to sustain his OBP. Uh, His runs per plate appearance, he had 68 runs, 12.3% runs per plate appearance down um, from last year, which isn't surprising since the OBP was down as well. And below league average, the White Sox don't have a particularly uh, good lineup and Abreu isn't particularly fast. Um, so that's not a uh, surprising number. He's really been an accumulator of runs. So last year in his best year, he had 95 at a 14.1% uh, rate. Home runs, 22 on 20.1 um, expected home runs. His home runs per plate appearance was at 4%. 
Expected home run per plate appearance at 3.6%. Last year seems like the outlier in that. It was 3.5% expected home run uh, per plate appearance two years ago. Um, So the 3.5 and 3.6 sandwiched around that 4.7%. So he'll hit home runs, but he's much more of an accumulator of home runs than a particularly uh, powerful guy. He did hit 33 last year and 25 uh, the year before that. Hard hit rate down slightly, 37.9% from 40.5%. And he does hit a decent amount of ground balls, slightly above uh, league average. His home run per fly ball rate isn't anything special. Um, I would say uh, put him at about 14.5%, which is where his expected home run per fly ball is um, in two of the last three years. So again, better than league average, but only slightly not one of these elite power hitters uh, like um, uh, Jesus Aguilar that we saw um, before. Uh, and then again, not surprisingly, hard hit fly ball rate, just slightly better than league average, 40.2%. Um, that's about where he's been the last three years on average, 6.5% barrels per plate appearance. So solid number um, right there. Hard hit pulled fly ball rate, 20% this year. That was a three-year low. Uh, he was at 25 and 32.9 the two previous years. So you know, right around league average, slightly below league average right there. So overall in the power to summarize, you know, he's slightly better than league average. RBI is where he has made a name for himself. Um, Triple digits in two of the last three years. But again, he's accumulating those at close to 700 plate appearances. His RBI per plate appearance was at 14.1% this year after 15.1% and 14.4% over the the two previous years. So that sounds about right. Roster Resource has him slotted in in the number three spot um, right now in the Red Sox lineup, which is ideal um, for him. But again, not an abundance of talent on the White Sox right now. Um, so he's got Yohan Moncada and Yelmer Sanchez ahead of him, uh, then Yonder Alonso behind him. Uh, obviously, if Bryce Harper signs with the White Sox, as is rumored as a possibility, that would certainly change the dynamic a little bit. But the lineup is less than impressive. He's also a trade candidate since he becomes a free agent um, after this year. So he may end up with hopefully uh, a better team at some point in the season, although in that situation, he could be platooning and or, um, you know, a bat off the bench. So just something to consider as you weigh whether it's worth investing a draft pick in him. Uh, 337 Woba, 360 uh, expected Woba. So again, underperforming considerably there. And he's not a fast dude. Five stolen bases in the last three seasons. So plug him in for one or two and don't expect anything more. Uh, slower than league average, uh, as you are probably not surprised uh, to learn. Let's jump into the detailed batted ball profile for Abreu. Uh, lower than league average pop-up rate, which is really nice, 16.4%. Uh, That's a three-year high, but still 1.5% below league average. His hard drive rate, 13.4%, uh, about 25 percent above league average so really nice there and then his dribbler percentage at 21.7 percent even though he has about a league average uh, ground ball rate his dribbler rate is below league average um, by a decent amount by three percent and so uh, that helps that should help drive uh, a higher BABIP his expected BABIP was 337 as opposed to the 295 that he had that's after a 345 and 333 expected BABIP the last two years so he does tend to underperform his BABIP but not by um, more than 40 points. And then you can see, you know, last year, for instance, uh, when he had a 313 batting average and a 345 expected BABIP, he had an 11.3% value hit. So 
really good hit percentage versus 25.6% poor hit percentage, according to XStats. That was 11.6% value hit and 25.9% poor hit uh, this year. So very similar numbers uh, over the last uh, two years. And that value hit percentage he had this year was actually better than two years ago when he hit 297. So again, it looks like it was just bad luck in terms of the batting average for Abreu this year. So I would expect a rebound for sure. The rolling averages graphs aren't super instructive for Abreu. I think it just makes it really clear. There's a lot of really big spikes um, towards the middle Uh, like kind of July, August area where he experienced some injuries. So a huge dip in in hard hit rate all the way down to 23.1%, spiking all the way back up to 45% uh, over his last 40 games. And so I would just take these as a grain of salt and just consider him the hitter he's been um, for the last few years. And a lot of the variance that you see um, from 2018 is mostly uh, just injury. Uh, and then I'd mentioned him in the lineup. So uh, batting third, Yomer Sanchez, Yoan uh, Moncada ahead of him. I do like Moncada um, heading into this year, at least to improve a decent amount over past years. So that could be helpful. But again, if you have Yonder Alonso, Wellington Castillo, and Daniel Palka behind you, no offense to those dudes, but uh, there's definitely better cleanup hitters um, that you'll see in Major League Baseball than those guys. Um, so that's just something to consider for his uh, run total in particular, as well as how many really good pitches he sees uh, this upcoming year. Uh, he's similarly positioned uh, to Jesus Aguilar, not for surprising reasons. Um, five ahead of him, Mitch Haniger, Jesus Aguilar, Joey Votto, Gene Segura, and Matt Carpenter. Uh, Eddie Rosario, Corey Seager, Nick Castellanos, Justin Upton, and Shohei Otane, uh, Otani. Uh, excuse me. Uh, behind him. Uh, It really depends on what you want. The thing that I do like about Abreu is he's dropped considerably. He's been very consistent outside of injury um, last year and some bad luck. And so I think you can expect him to hit in the 290 uh, range, which is a really nice batting average uh, in today's game. Uh, If he can stay healthy, I do like him for about 25 home runs. I think the RBI will be there. Um, He'll just accumulate those, and he could accumulate some runs, although I'd peg him more towards kind of the 70-ish run total given the lineup that he's in. So all in all, I probably like him more than Aguilar because I just value um, the batting average. It's hard to make up that difference in batting average versus um, you know the maybe 5 to 10 home runs that you have to make up Um, You can get those towards the end of the draft. It's much harder to get high average guys that aren't going to hurt you in other categories uh, later on um, in the draft. So I like Abreu. Um, I don't think I'll be getting him at this point. Again, um, you know, he has the potential to contribute four categories if the run total is there, but I think he's more of a three category um, contributor. So in this particular instance, I'd probably go Rosario ahead of him. I think Castellanos has some more upside just as being Um, a younger guy. Abreu is in his, um, I believe he's 32, I want to say, because he came over from Cuba. He is, yeah, he's going to be 32 when the season starts. So I would take Castellanos. I'd take Upton because of the speed, um, probably, and the home run totals and just the better lineup. Anytime you're near Mike Trout, it's a good thing. Um, Otani, I, you know, I'm going to need to dive into Otani a little bit. And there's so many question marks about how much he's going to play coming back from that surgery. But there's other guys like Victor Robles going at 97, who I would like more, for instance. 
Um, I like Haniger more, who's going around a similar place, as, as do I like Eddie Rosario more. So in general, I'm probably not going to own Abreu in a ton of places, but I don't think he's a terrible pick. He's definitely a guy who, um, if he has a good season, could hit 330 home runs, 100 RBIs, and 80 runs, which is you know which would be a really nice um, uh, contribution there. But probably a guy I'm going to uh, pass on this year. But if you need batting average and you're looking for a guy who can give you some batting average and power, uh, he's not a, ba- a terrible pick um, at 85.8 in drafts this year. Next up, we have Gary Sanchez, catcher for the New York Yankees. In 10-2 early mock drafts, he had an average draft position of 68.6. That is down in the 33. It's not 34. It's 33 NFBC drafts that have taken place so far. 57.9 ADP there. That's been pretty consistent, actually, uh, since earlier on in the NFBC draft. So that's just something to note. That seems about where he's going to end up uh, this year, uh, which is well below where he was last year when he was going in the second round. Minimum pick of 32 Max pick of 76. Uh, Last year was a disappointing, to say the least, campaign for Sanchez. Um, 374 plate appearances, really an injury-riddled season. Throughout the year, he just seemed to be struggling with a variety of different uh, ailments and then uh, eventually uh, got off-season shoulder surgery. So that's just something that I think is important to note as we dive in. 525 plate appearances last year. Uh, He is one of those catchers who will get you... uh, a lot more plate appearances because he finds his way into the lineup in other ways. That may not be so much the case uh, with um, Giancarlo Stanton now uh, occupying the DH spot, but with some rotation, he could definitely find himself uh, playing a handful of games there over the course uh, of the season, if not playing some first base, which has been uh, a rumored thing. So we'll see. Some question marks there, but um, definitely a catcher heading into this year. Uh, batting average was the major eyesore from last year, a 186 batting average, which is just phenomenally low. Uh, it did come on a 213 expected batting average, which I think is important, um, uh, important to note. Um, you know, he did get unlucky, uh, a 197 BABIP, which is what he had is well below the 304 from last year and 317 from his rookie season. And nobody I mean, nobody, not even Rugnet Odor, should have a 197 BABIP. So just realize that there's going to be some substantial, substantial regression there, even to the tune of 100 points, uh, if you were to get back to where he was before. He batted 278 in 2017 on a 290 expected average, and 299 with a 308 expected average in his uh, 229 plate appearances in his rookie year. So just consider that. Remember that because the plate skills are, have been pretty stable this year. Uh, contact rate, you know, slight dip, one and a half percent, but his in-zone contact actually increased uh, to 86.3%, so up a couple percentage points. His K rate was the highest of his career at 25.1%, but only slightly worse uh, than league average. And, you know, it may be a little bit higher than it should be given uh, some of the gains um, he made at least an in, in-zone in contact, at least for next year. OBP 291, a 320 expected OBP, though uh, he has been solid in OBP previously, 345 and 376 in the two previous seasons. Uh, he's got about league average uh, plate discipline. Um, his swinging, swing percentage actually dipped uh, about 4%. Uh, from last year. So he was being more patient overall, although he didn't um, 
Uh, and his chase rate fell by about 2% to 33%. So he's still worse than league average there, but being really selective, not seeing a ton of pitches in the zone. And so that may just be an adjustment that he is making as well, uh, in addition to what he was working through last year. He's being a little bit more patient, and we saw that with a 12.3% walk rate this year. So he still is very valuable in OBP. I think when we see the average rebound, which I fully expect given the fairly stable plate skills, Um, I anticipate that he will be uh, much better than league average in his OBP. Uh, 51 runs scored, 13.6% runs per plate appearances. That's well below his career mark of about 15%. Um, The Yankees lineup is very good. He gets on base a lot, so he should score a decent uh, amount of runs. His home runs, he had 18 this year on 21.2 expected home runs. So a little bit of uh, unlucky uh, this year in terms of his uh, home runs. His home runs per plate appearance was at 4.8%, but the expected home runs per plate appearance was at 5.7%, which aligns with his expected home runs per plate appearance last year of 5.5%, which was actually below his 6.3%. Remember, 3.6% is league average for home runs per plate appearances. So in whichever metric you're looking at, he's well above league average. I think that 5.5% seems about right for me, um, just because that's what the expected mark has been Uh, the last two seasons. So just something uh, to consider with Sanchez. He is playing in Yankee Stadium, and that is beneficial. Uh, No major changes um, in his uh, power metrics. Uh, Hard hit rate right around where it was last year. Although, again, remember, there was an overall league increase in hard hit rate. Um, So, you know, according to league average, he did dip some this past year. Not surprising given he was dealing with a shoulder injury and other ailments throughout the year. Ground ball percentage right around league average of 43% the last two years. Uh, Home run per fly ball rate is where he saw a decent drop, uh, about 7% uh, from last year's 25.4%. Expected home run per fly ball the last two years has him around uh, 21-22% though. So that's what I would think about for next year. Again, remember, like the batting average was terrible, but all the other metrics just tell you, especially for a catcher like this guy, Uh, can be fantasy gold if he has the year we know he's capable of. Hard hit fly ball rate, 38.4%, right around the 41.5% from last year. He did have a 36.8% hard hit pulled fly ball rate, which is really nice. Um, It was down to 33.3% last year, 46.9% in his studly rookie year. And so he's right around league average with hard hit pulled fly ball rate, and that is great when you play uh, in Yankee Stadium. It would be great to see him actually grow that a little bit take advantage of the short porch barrels. He actually had um, a better barrels per plate appearance this year than last year, 8.6% compared to 8%. Again, very elite totals that he's putting up there. RBIs is where you can see the major difference from year to year. Last year in 2017, he had a 17.1% RBI per plate appearance, 90 RBI. He had 53 this year on 14.2%. To me, that just doesn't... um, you know, makes sense. 12.5% is league average, but you have him batting in a lineup with Brett Gardner, Aaron Judge, Aaron Hicks, and Giancarlo Stanton ahead of him. He's currently scheduled to be to bat fifth uh, with Miguel Andujar and Glaber Torres behind him, according to Roster Resource. I mean, that is just an insanely good lineup. He should be putting up great RBI and run totals in that lineup. And so I would guess um, that the average will rebound and with it, the RBI will also rebound. So um, as you can tell, I'm kind of uh, in on Sanchez this year. 304 Woba, 339 expected Woba. Um, don't anticipate stolen bases from him four uh, in his 
two and a half seasons in the majors. Um, you know, actually really more like two seasons total. Uh, so, you know, plug him in for one or two a year, but don't expect anything special. He also has below league average speed. So uh, those stolen bases aren't just going to show up, I don't think. When we take a look at his detailed batted ball profile, you can kind of see, you know, what happened last year and how injuries may have played a part. We see the pop-up rate increasing by 5% from below league average to well above league average at 21.7%. So about 4% worse than league average. His hard drive rate was actually up. It was up 2% at 16.9%, a real elite number, 10.8% as league average. And then his dribblers were also up 4.2% from last year. So he, he really started hitting just really, really bad batted balls, hitting the ball directly into the ground or popping things up. You know, with a lesser hitter, I would, um, you know, maybe expect, uh, you know, maybe see that as a negative thing, and it's obviously a negative thing last year, but I do think that for me this is a sign of injury for Sanchez, given there was no other drastic changes in his overall batted ball, um, you know, in the plate discipline or the contact metrics. It's just, um, you know, it doesn't jive with me, and so uh, I'm taking a l- not that much stock in it. And you can see 11% value hit rate this year. That's actually up from 9.9% last year, so he did have a better value hit rate this year, just like he had a better barrel rate. But his poor hits increased by 4% to worse than league average at 27.8%. So again, you know, he was making really, really solid contact, but he was also making really poor contact a lot. And that is why you see uh, the BABIP down uh, 100 points and, uh, and the expected BABIP down 100 points, although 218 was his expected average. So again, not as bad as... It could have been. When we take a look at his rolling average graphs, you see, you can see the injury. Um, his contact was elevated for his in-zone contact was elevated for much of the season and very stable, which is nice. Um, but you see a huge increase in his ground ball rate uh, right around June. It just shoots up and continues to go up. You see his hard hit rate fall off a cliff in late May, and it's actually interesting because at the lowest, at the nadir. The lowest point of that hard hit rate at 30.2% in June. Um, two days later, uh, he was he was out for um, uh, a couple months, for a month. And then he was out again um, after a couple games for another month. And so you can kind of see the injury in the rolling average graphs. And so again, I don't put a ton of stock uh, in that in his 2018. I think as long as the contact skills and the play dis- discipline look similar. I'm willing to overlook some of the batted ball profile stuff and some of the trends because I do think injuries were a factor, um, as was uh, bad luck. And so I think it probably just, you're getting, you have bad luck, you're feeling the injuries, you can't overcome them. It becomes a vicious cycle. Um, You may call me a Gary Sanchez apologist because of this take, but I just think a guy like him who's young and shows no other reason why he would just totally fall off a plate, um, uh, why that, why that would happen. Um, I think that's um, that's why I'm a, a Gary Sanchez apologist. Uh, in terms of where he's scheduled to bat, I mean, the Yankees lineup, again, is brilliant, uh, has a bunch of OBP, high OBP guys right ahead of him, so RBIs should be plentiful, and then he's got really solid hitters behind him as well. I mean, the six, seven, eight guys are Miguel Andujar, Glaber Torres, and Luke Voigt right now. So um, all guys who can hit uh, for power, all guys who can hit at least decently so far for average. 
Um, really, really nice position in the lineup overall. Let's take a look at where the guys that are going around him. Uh, again, George Springer, Gleyber Torres, Eugenio Suarez, Anthony Rendon, Cody Bellinger. Uh, behind him, JT Realmuto, uh, Tommy Pham, Miguel Andujar, Lorenzo Cain. Um, so he's going actually with a, in an area where I like a lot of the hitters. Um, it just depends on how much you think the rebound for Sanchez is going to be. But given the just how bad catcher is and what Sanchez is capable of in that lineup if he stays healthy and regains even half of what he lost last year, even if he hits 250 in that lineup, you know, you're likely to see 90 home runs, 80, 80, uh, 90 home runs, 90 RBI, you know, 70, 80 runs, 30 home runs. Um, I mean, that's just really, really elite production. And so he could be a guy. A lot of it depends on team construction, but he could be a guy that I'm really targeting here at the back end of the fourth round um, in 15-team leagues, uh, especially if he falls a little bit. I would go after him. I do like Springer. Um, I do like Suarez. I do like Rendon. Don't like Bellinger that much. So he probably moves up uh, ahead of some of those guys into the, into the low 50s. Um, ahead of those guys in terms of hitters. Uh, I like him more than Real Muto for sure. I mean, the fact that him and Real Muto are going side by side to me is there's, uh, there's, there's just a stark value proposition there for me where Real Muto has to be the best that he can be to reach that value, whereas Sanchez, I think, can return um, a lot more at that position. Love Tommy Pham, as folks who listen to the podcast are aware. Andujar, I like a lot as do I like Kane. So I like a lot of hitters around there, so it depends on what your team construction is, but I have no problem taking Gary Sanchez at this point in the draft. I expect, um, if not a full rebound, at least a, a three-quarters rebound, and a three-quarters rebound makes him easily the number one catcher in the game and a guy that's going to return a lot of value being drafted at this point in the draft. In this segment, I'm going to discuss a little bit about a tweet that I sent out uh, earlier today. Um, I've just been taking a look at the ADP right now on NFBC drafts. Um, there's a lot of um, draft and hold leagues going on. So this is where you have 50 rounds of drafting and you hold on to the players for the full year. There's no waiver period. There's no fab. But you that's the team that you have to work with uh, throughout the whole season. And so you know that will definitely determine... Uh, some of the ADP and, and where guys uh, go. Sometimes it can push you know, uh, folks like closers up just because closers, um, it can be hard uh, to get guys that are going to, um, you know, you need to have saves on your team uh, if you're going to get saves. And so banking on guys who aren't currently closers to become closers can be challenging. So it definitely can impact um, ADP uh, a little bit. So we've also got, you know, about two and a half months before uh, people get into serious draft season. And so these numbers could change, but I've already noticed a trend that I really like a lot of starting pitchers who are going later in drafts. And I like starting pitchers that are going early in drafts as well. You know, the, the top maybe 15 or so guys are just really, really solid. I think for the most part, you know, there are your exceptions, your Luis Severino's and your Clayton Kershaw's. But for the most part, I like a lot of guys there. And then there's kind of, you know, a lot of question marks around guys in the middle, but there's obviously question marks about guys going late, but there's just a group of guys, and I couldn't even include them all in the tweet, 
um, that I really like moving forward. And so I just wanted to mention, you know, a little bit about for each guy, why it is that I like him moving forward and a little bit about the process that I go through um, in identifying guys just in general, but also um, identifying guys to take a late flyer on in drafts. So uh, the folks that I have laid out, Reynaldo Lopez going at an ADP right now of 246. Now I've already profiled Lopez. So folks who have listened to the podcast um, and have listened to that episode, you'll know why I like Lopez. If you haven't, uh, feel free to check that episode out. Um, but Lopez is a guy who towards the end of last year really seemed to be putting things together. He had a really strong last month plus of the year, and some of it was luck, you know, a low BABIP, um, for instance, a very high strand rate, you know, which can make people look better than they are. But I also saw some really nice skill gains and increases in his swinging strike rate and his O swing percentage and a dip in his Z contact, his in-zone contact, to well below league average, which to me is a really strong sign of a good pitcher. Lopez has a, a lot of velocity on his fastball. His fastball is like 90, 96, 98 um, miles per hour. Um, it, it hasn't had the greatest outcomes, but it hasn't had poor outcomes, but it's a really nice piece to build off of. And he really started to improve the swinging strike rate on his changeup. Um, it caught up to his slider you know, around 15% uh, swinging strike rate, which again is not super elite, uh, but it's getting there. And he's still a young guy at 24 um, with a lot of potential. And so I think he's got a lot of the tools that I want to see. The expected um, stats also supported what he did towards the end of the year. So it wasn't necessarily that he uh, got lucky uh, with uh, a lot of those numbers. It was just that, um, you know, it's very hard to sustain really low expected uh, stats like that. And so I wouldn't anticipate that he's going to recreate that for a full season, but I really do like a lot of what I saw uh, towards the end of the year with Lopez. And I think in some articles, he talked about the fact that he was maturing and he had been put in some situations where he needed to play around a little bit with his pitch mix and learned he could trust his pitches a little bit more. So that uh, is something that I really liked uh, about Lopez. Uh, obviously playing for the White Sox is not going to help his win total. So I do think that that puts a little bit of a damper on it. Um, but I do like uh, Lopez uh, a lot moving forward. And I think he might be a guy who can take uh, a decent leap. Uh, Kenta Maeda is a guy who's always underappreciated. Uh, when you look at skills and when it comes to how, you know, how I identify these guys, really what I'm looking at is outside of performance, right? Outside of ERA or WHIP, or some of the outcomes that we see, what are the underlying skills? So when I talk about underlying skills, I'm thinking about swinging strike rate. I'm thinking about in-zone contact rate. I'm thinking about uh, chase rate, so O-swing. Uh, I'm thinking about how frequently they throw the ball uh, in the zone. I'm thinking about first pitch strike. So how frequently do they get ahead of batters, which allows them to use maybe some of their better pitches or get people to chase more often and have better control metrics. So I'm really looking at fundamentally the strikeout skills and the walk skills. Um, and then I also take a look at the batted ball stuff. So a good example would be a Nick Pavetta, who is a guy who shows a lot of really good underlying skills, but also hasn't been able to have a BABIP on his fastball of under 350 in his whole major league career. And so a guy who hasn't been able to do that over, you know, throwing that pitch 2000 times, you know, I want to see it before uh, I uh, invest in it, even if the skills uh, do look um, pretty good. 
And so that's kind of the process that I use. And so I'll go to fan graphs and then I'll look at the plate discipline metrics and I'll look at that over the full season. I'll look at that over the second half. I'll look at that over the last 30 days. And as I identify guys that are of interest within that, right, because they have a high swinging strike rate or uh, one of the skills looks particularly good, then I'll dive into the profile, look at the profile, look at the rolling average graphs, play around with it. Okay, over the last 10 starts, how did they look? Over the last five starts, how did they look? How? How were their skills changing? What was changing it? Was it, was, it a, uh, was it a pitch change? Was it an increase in velocity? What exactly might have been underlying that change? And is it something that I think might be sustainable or in the case of a lot of these guys going later, worth taking a gamble on? And so a guy like Kenta Maeda is a perfect example. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, uh, but you know, he had a swinging strike rate of like 15% over his last 10 games or so. Some of those come, came in relief, but he's got some elite pitches. His slider generates some of that highest whiff rate among sliders in the game. He always has a high O swing. He always has a high swinging strike rate. He just has really elite skills, and it's just a question of whether he gets the opportunity with the Dodgers. He also got pretty unlucky early on last year with balls in play, um, and so that was something that I consider as well. So going at an ADP of 254, you know, he's just got to get, he's just got to get opportunities to start. And it doesn't even have to be a ton of them, right? If he were to get 15 to 20 starts and spend the rest of the year in the bullpen, he'd still generate a ton of return uh, on that 254 ADP. So I love where he's going right there. Joe Musgrove is a guy that towards the end of last year, I actually highlighted um, uh, in a tweet um, as a guy who was super interesting because he saw a surge in his swinging strike rate um, in his O swing. um, And he's also around the plate a lot. He doesn't, uh, issue a lot of walks. Maybe some would say even he's around the plate too much, has a hot, very high first pitch strike rate, has a very high zone rate, and with a very high O swing as well, that means that there's not a lot of balls that he's throwing. Now, sometimes when you're around the zone too much, you get hit around a little bit, and that's something that's happened to Musgrove in the past, and so I actually hope he kind of uh, bite nibbles at the edges a little bit more, but some of the underlying skills, I think it's his slider, has a very high swinging strike rate towards the end of last year. That was really propelling him forward, and he had a really nice skill set. And so he's another guy that he's he's coming off an injury, and so I'm a little concerned about that. But at an ADP, ADP of 256, I, I'm going in on that because I think there's a lot uh, of value to be gained there. Steven Matz, I tweeted about him uh, over the weekend. I really like some of the um, a change in skills for Matts over the course of the season. His swinging strike rate increased, um, and he's also really good at getting called strikes. Um, among pitchers with 2,000, uh, two, I think it's 2,000 pitches over the last four years, he has the eighth highest called strike rate per pitch. And so he doesn't necessarily need a really high swinging strike rate to generate some decent whiffs. And we also have a history of him before his injury of pitching really well. Uh, I think it was in 20. Uh, 16, I want to say, or maybe it was end of 2017, uh, but he had a, an ERA in the uh, mid to low threes uh, over a strikeout per inning and just looked really good. And so he's a guy who uh, the skills were kind of coming together towards the end of last year. Um, and I really, really uh, like that uh, for Mats. I also just, I like the Mets a lot heading into next year. I know it's kind of weird to say that, but but Mats is a guy that I think Um, has shown before that he can be a really strong pitcher and he may now be healthy enough where he can take the next step. Another thing with Mats that I noticed is that his velocity was back up towards the end of last last year. Not by a ton, but like half a a mile per hour or a mile per hour up to 94 um, on his sinker, which is, um, 
you know, uh, that's a that's good velocity for a, a left-handed pitcher. And so that was something that I liked about Mats as well. Kyle Gibson is an always underrated guy over the last couple years heading into this year. His major issue is control metrics, you know, first pitch strike and zone percentage as well. He can't get his pitches in the zone. And I think that's really hampered him from taking that next leap. But he's a guy that I trust a decent amount. Surprisingly, he's got three pitches that have a swinging strike rate above 15%. Uh, last year, I believe he ranked, um, oh gosh, I don't have it in front of me. I don't want to embarrass myself, but I won't say it. But he had an 11% plus swinging strike rate uh, last year overall. And he's got some really nice pitches. And I think for him, it's just a matter of finding a pitch mix that works really well and being able to control those pitches a little better, be able to throw some of those off-speed pitches like his slider um, in the zone more. Um, because right now he's just walking uh, too many guys and he's too reliant on a low BABIP to be successful. But I think he definitely could take the next step, though he's running out of time uh, in his early 30s. Mike Miner is a guy that I didn't think that I was going to be into, but as I dug in, there's a lot of things that I like. Uh, Number one, towards the end of last year, his changeup really took the next step. Uh, It was generating about 20% swinging strike rate. Um, So it's a knockout pitch that he can really go to um, to get people to strike out. He throws a lot of four-seam fastballs, and he generates a lot of fly balls, and he had some home runs uh, issues last year. But I don't mind fly ball um, uh, pitchers necessarily because they tend to have lower, lower BABIPs, and they also tend to have better whips because they're not giving as a, up as many hits because it's more fly balls. Their ERAs can uh, take the brunt of that, but um, I don't necessarily mind it as much as folks have been uh, talking it up, especially with the dejuiced ball. I think last year it might have been a different story in 2017, but now that the ball seems a little deflated um, and home run per fly ball has dropped league-wide, I think you can get some guys um, who are higher fly ball pitchers to help it out. If you look at some of the top guys in the league, your Justin Verlanders, your Garrett Coles, your Max Scherzers, they actually give up a ton of fly balls, but they're good at keeping the fly balls uh, in the yard, suppressing Babbitt, getting Ks, And so that, I think, for the next step for Mike Miner is to increase his strikeout rate. And we saw an increase in his swinging strike rate as the season progressed. And one thing that I like a lot about Miner is that I noticed, I was just taking a look at spin rates, he actually has the second best spin rate on his four-seam fastball, uh, second behind Justin Verlander uh, of starters who have thrown a number of innings. But what I noticed about Miner is he doesn't necessarily throw that pitch high in the zone. And generally, from my understanding and listening to folks um, talk, uh, you want to throw that high spin rate fastball up in the zone. Um, that's where you're going to have the most success with it. So if Miner gets a little bit better coaching, maybe if he gets traded to the Phillies or a team that maybe uh, focuses a little bit more on advanced uh, analytics, uh, they might be able to help him take the next step. I do know that the Rangers um, you know, aren't, terrible at analytics, at least I don't think they are. Um, And so hopefully they can even um, help him take that next step, throw that a little bit higher in the zone, um, build that change up off of it. I would love to see Mike Miner take that next step. But even with last year's stats, um, you know, I think his ERA was around 4.15 and his whip was 1.18. You know, those are solid all around and he's going to give you a decent amount of Ks, over 8 Ks per nine. And so that is something at, at ADP of 291. Um, is not uh, bad uh, whatsoever. His velocity also returned towards the end of last year, getting back to around 94 miles per hour, which I think is really big for him too. So 
Uh, I like Mike Miner going at 291. Annabelle Sanchez is a guy, I think he'll start to go up a lot now that he has a home with the Washington Nationals, but he's a guy who changed his pitch mix last year and really took off. I own him in a lot of places. Early on in the season, you could see with the swinging strike rate, the O swing, and then um, you know one of the, the one area that does concern me is he did generate some really, uh, uh, he didn't generate a lot of hard contact, and sometimes those metrics year to year uh, don't correlate that well. But he showed enough swinging strike stuff um, to, uh, to definitely get on my radar and help me out a bunch last year. His changeup is a really good pitch. Um, he started throwing a cutter, which is also a really good pitch. And so he's a guy towards the end of last year, I think over the last, uh, it might have been 30 games, his swinging strike rate was over 15%, which is really elite. Now he's going to be with the Nationals. It's not a bad stadium to be in. They should have some decent... Um, uh, outfield defense with Victor Robles uh, coming on board, uh, Adam Eaton uh, and um, Juan Soto there. So uh, hopefully, um, you know, Sanchez can repeat what he did last year with the Braves and be really valuable. And at 359 ADP, uh, you're not paying a high price at all for that. Jose Ureña is a guy, I haven't heard many folks talking about him. And, you know, he had a very low swinging strike rate overall last year um, throughout the season. But one thing that I noticed about him is that um, his in-zone contact rate dipped towards the end of last year, and his swinging strike rate started to go up. Now, it wasn't neither metric was necessarily elite. Um, his uh, in-zone contact rate did get around 80%, with 85.5% uh, being league average, so that's really, really nice. Uh, his swinging strike rate was around 10%, but even last year, you know, he had a high threes, low four ERA, can't remember the exact number, and his whip was also pretty low. His control metrics aren't that good, so it was a little bit surprising to see his walk rate lower, but he gives up a lot of contact, so it may just mean that guys are putting the ball, uh, the bat on the ball uh, before he has a chance uh, to walk them. But his slider is not a bad pitch. Um, he hasn't thrown it that often, and so if he can increase you the, the use of that, He's got a really fast fastball, and hitters don't generally generate uh, decent, that strong of contact off of it. And so I like the fact that he was able to be successful in the zone. We saw an increase in that swinging strike rate, um, and he was able to put up overall solid numbers outside of the Ks um, to be a guy who's at least uh, you're able to stream uh, heading into next year in, in decent matchups, um, and uh, at best could turn into a guy uh, who's just you know, pitches a, a lot of innings, uh, helps you out a decent amount uh, in Ks, and keeps those ratios low. So he's a guy that I'm definitely interested in in seeing, and I'd love to see him increase the usage of his slider, which is uh, his best pitch. Vince Velasquez is a guy who, at ADP 386, I like a lot. I need to dive in deeper on Velasquez, but again, he had a really solid swinging strike rate last year. Uh, his O swing was decent as well. His end zone contact was also decent. His control metrics were actually improved from previous years. Um, I may be making that up, but I remember that in my head. So you can go ahead and check out his profile to see if you agree. But he's actually somebody who got really unlucky. He had a very high BABIP, a very low strand rate last year. And I couldn't really see anything in the numbers that pointed uh, to why that was happening. Um, he actually had some really good... Um, improvement in some of those areas. So like um, uh, he had a high pop-up percentage, for instance, uh, which is something that he hadn't had previously. It was at 21.6% uh, last year, at, whereas at 15.2% uh, in 2017. 
Um, his expected BABIP was at uh, 308. Um, it ended up at 308 last year, so slightly better than league average, but you know, K rate at 25.6%, walk rate at 9.4%, walk minus, uh, K minus walk at 16.2%. Uh, those are all really, um, really solid numbers. Um, and the hard drive rate was at 8.5% after three consecutive years at 11. And so that's a really nice, uh, he was limiting the quality of contact a decent amount, which I really, really like um, to see. Value hit rate uh, was at 7.8%, so well below league average. So anytime somebody's doing that, again, it's not necessarily the most uh, stable year-to-year correlation, but some improvement in the batted balls that he was giving up uh, and also kind of the pedigree in terms of the strikeouts was something that I really liked. And a 16.2% K-minus walk rate is definitely useful. So he's a guy who could uh, take the next step next year, especially if the Phillies improve uh, their horrid defense from last year. Trevor Richards is a guy at 412. The changeup is just so good. I mean, the changeup rivals um, uh, Luis Castillo's changeup. If you look at the metrics, Castillo's is definitely better, but Richards is right up there. He started throwing at close to 40% of his pitches last year, and his swinging strike rate took off. Um, it was around 12.2%, I think, over his last 10 games. Got it as high as about 14% over a little period of time there. O swing was nice. His control metrics started to get better. He definitely has home run issues. His fastball is not good. And then uh, his curveball, which is his uh, second uh, pitch, uh, off-speed pitch that he goes to, or breaking pitch that he goes to, um, is not good as well. So he's really only got that changeup to build off of. But it's such a good pitch that I'm willing to take uh, a chance just to see how he he does. He might be a guy that I draft towards the end of drafts, obviously going at 412. And then I might hold on to him and just see how he does in his first couple of uh, start, see if there's any changes in terms of velocity or the pitch that he's throwing um, to see if, if, that, if, he's, wi- he's, if he's worth uh, keeping around. Uh, but he's definitely a guy I could see um, you know, with, with an incredible pitch if his fastball just becomes uh, useful. I think it was like at a 135 WRC plus against. If he can just get that around 100, we've definitely seen guys um, do a lot more with less. Um, and that changeup is a truly elite pitch. And so that's really what I'm banking on is that changeup, and then hopefully uh, some development uh, of his other pitches that can help uh, at least make him uh, somewhat bearable in the batted ball, uh, batted ball department because uh, he's get it, definitely getting enough uh, swing and misses uh, to be useful in terms of strikeouts and strikeouts uh, uh, per nine. Uh, Jason Vargas is a guy, the last guy on the list, going at ADP of 607. I can't remember who it was, but earlier in the offseason, somebody asked me about him and was like, am I crazy to think that Vargas could be useful this year? And when I dove in, I was very, very impressed. He is above average by a decent margin in every all of the major skills that I look at. His swinging strike rate over his last 10 games was at like 12.2%. O swing at about 33%. In zone contact rate around 80%. First pitch strike well over 60%. And those are really the things that I'm looking at. Uh, I believe it's his changeup, which is really, really, really good. And there was a big change in his pitch mix towards the end of last year where he faded his four-seam fastball and he started throwing his sinker more. Now, I generally don't approve of throwing your sinker more. Sinkers are generally uh, garbage pitches that get hit really, really hard unless they're elite. But the the one thing with him is this, is that Kyle Hendricks has made a living off of having a sinker, a good sinker, and a great changeup. 
The pitches just uh, really, they tunnel well together. Again, I don't know like a ton about tunneling or anything like this, so take it with a grain of salt. But uh, from what I've read and what I've seen, you know, they tunnel really well together. So I just wonder if moving to the sinker and having that really good changeup, whether that combo has helped him take the next step. If somebody is listening to this and knows more about pitching uh, than I obviously do, and you have a thought on that, let me know. But everything across the board looked really good with Vargas. And again, like there's a reason why I really like the Mets heading into next year with DeGrom, Syndergaard, Wheeler, Mats, and Vargas as your top five. If Vargas and Mats can just be usable, and then you have that top three of really like top 100 pitchers in terms of the ADP this year, I mean, you know, you just really, the offense just needs to be decent uh, for them to be a really good team. So that is a little bit about the 11 guys that I tweeted about um, that I like going above ADP of 200. I need to dive into a lot more, but there's a lot of guys going late that I really, really like. And so I think one of my strategies going into this year will be to get maybe two aces, two of those top 15 pitchers in the first three rounds, uh, and then wait for a while and really load up on hitting, uh, maybe pick a a closer or two, um, and then go after pitching later on. Because there are some guys here who I feel confident will have a decent base Um, and then uh, I think could reach another level. So there will be a lot more guys. There will be hitters uh, who are in a similar position that I really like as I dive in and take a look at the skills. Um, But, you know, that's a little bit about my process, what I'm looking at, why I like these guys. If you do have any questions about these, definitely do um, hit me up on Twitter. Really loving the engagement, both on this tweet and just in general. Fantasy football season is over. I'm just super excited to get into this. I love these debates and these discussions. I had a really, really great and fun uh, discussion with um, uh, Walter McMichael and others um, about uh, Walker Bueller um, and kind of why I liked him a lot and some pushback around the innings pitched and the development of his pitches. And I just love to have those debates and kind of go back and forth. You learn so much from those exchanges. So thanks to everybody who um, has engaged with that tweet. Definitely let me know what you think about these. Add guys to the list who you want me to check out. Um, But really, really, really um, uh, excited about getting more into fantasy baseball and digging into some of these late ADP guys. That is going to wrap us up for episode 49 of the Batfoot Crazy podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Really, really do appreciate it. Hope everyone is having a wonderful um, holiday season. Uh, This episode is going to be coming out uh, on New Year's Eve day. So I hope you have a wonderful and safe uh, New Year's Eve uh, and a great, uh, hopefully, a holiday. And if not, uh, that you are able to enjoy uh, your January 1st, your New Year's Day. Uh, Maybe watch some bowl games or, um, you know, maybe watch some uh, gifts of pitchers tunneling or you know whatnot if you're if you're not a football fan um that uh was a lot of fun uh, it was a lot of fun to dump dive into uh, three guys who are going at similar positions in drafts who have a lot of similarities um, but also a lot of differences um, it was also fun to cover the 12 uh, batter uh, 12 pitchers that i like um, in late ADP, I actually like a lot more, and so I will be adding to that list. But these are just some guys that I think are with, worth, um, can return some significant value based on where they're going right now. Um, hope you enjoyed that. Let me know whether you did, whether you want more of those kind of mini strategy slash 
um, you know, uh, sharing of tools and resources and, and if it was helpful or there's particular parts that you'd like me to uh, focus on more. Um, yes, uh, that is it. As always, you can reach me on Twitter. That is the best place, at BatFlipCrazy. Really, really appreciate uh, everyone listening. Really getting excited, if you can't tell, for the fantasy baseball season. It is upon us with fantasy football uh, now ending. There's going to be so many more conversations, back and forth engagement. It is going to be awesome. So best of luck with your fantasy baseball research. Take care. Have a wonderful New Year's and be kind to one another.